0: in this series talking about the times we get confined and restricted in different types of prisons and things that we feel confined by. And uh, my wife was talking with two of my kids this past week, and they were talking about their greatest fears. And fear is something that can confine us sometimes and get us scared. And they started talking about sort of like, what would be that worst fear? What would be your worst imprisonment or that thing that scares you most? And so Kelly shared that her worst fear is driving on a bridge and then somehow driving off that bridge and ending up in the water, in the car, stuck there. And that's a pretty terrifying prison. Now, I think most of the guys in the room have this thought in our head, and I'm one of them, that we know how to make this work. Right, guys? I see Joey nodding. I see a few of you nodding along. See, the men in the room know as soon as we go off the bridge, we're just going to roll down the windows and then we can swim out. It's really not that big of a deal, but we haven't thought it through. Right? I highly doubt any of us, as we're careening off a bridge to our potential demise, are going to have the wherewithal to stop and put our finger on the button and go, it's okay, it's just going to take a minute to get these windows rolled down. And then everything's going to be all right. Not like when the car hits the water, it's not going to burst into flames anyway. But anyway, guys, we'll be all right. So that's my wife's greatest fear. Now, my daughter's greatest fear is being in a plane crash. That's a pretty Rough prison, man. Imagine that being some kind of plane crash, either being stuck or being killed in that plane crash. So then my wife says, Landon, to my nine-year-old, Landon, what is your greatest fear? He goes, hmm, probably if America's Got Talent was canceled. (laughs) Must be nice to be Landon, you know. That's his greatest fear in life. That's all he's worried about. Simon, don't leave me. That's, That's about all he's upset about. Pretty incredible. But we're talking about those prisons in our lives that really confine us and make us feel like we're stuck. In certain situations. And we're not talking about literal prisons, but all those situations that arise in our lives where we feel like we can't get out. And so, what we've been doing is looking in the Bible. We've been looking at different people in the Bible who are in real jails, in real prison cells, and we've been learning from them. We've been trying to understand what it looks like to navigate faith and God and life while we're in the prison cell. And I can tell you this I have learned so much just Looking through scripture and looking at these stories from my own life. You know, two prison cells I'm in right now. You guys are aware of them if you've been around. Number one would be my wife's sickness and all we've been going through with that. Another one I feel kind of stuck in is this whole building situation right now. It's very intense. Uh, We got a lot of weight on us as a staff just trying to pray through this, think through this, figure out that next step. And so I kind of feel like I'm in these two prisons and just looking so the word of God through this time has done so much for me and continues to do so much for me. And so my prayer is that that will be true of you as well. So we've looked at a lot, but tonight I want to ask probably the scariest question that you and I ever ask in the prison cell. You know, when we're in the prison cell, we can ask, ask some tough questions, but I want to talk with you about the most desperate question that we ask. And if you've asked this question, you might have not even told anybody you've asked this question. And in church, it almost feels irreverent to even bring this up. But I think it's something that a lot of us wrestle with. I think it's something that we've probably all asked at one point or another, or we definitely will. And so the question I want to talk with you about tonight, that sometimes we ask God when we're in the prison cell in that desperate, desperate, hopeless place, is this, are you really God or not? Some of us have asked God that question. Are you really God or not? Again, we probably didn't tell our friend we ask, or our spouse or our kids or anybody around us, maybe maybe confide in a pastor about that. I don't know. But I would guess most of us have said that at a moment of frustration, of pain, of deep woundedness, stuck in some kind of prison, seeing no way out. Are you really God or not? Why do we ask this? I think we ask this because a lot of the times in the middle of our pain, we think to ourselves, either God is God, he's going to get me out of this, Or he is not God, and I'm gonna stay stuck in this prison. You see, we can't fathom that maybe God is God and we're stuck in a prison right now. We kind of think it has to be one or the other. Both can't be true. Either God is God or I'm staying stuck in this prison. But what if God is still God in the midst of our prisons? What if he is still God and on the throne in the midst of those painful circumstances in our life and those painful situations? Can it be true? that God is God and we suffer. Can it be true that those things aren't at odds? There's an entire branch of philosophy that talks about this. It's called theodicy. And really smart guys sit around and they talk about the relationship between God and pain. Where is God in the midst of pain? What is he doing when we're in our prison cell? What is he up to? Why is he allowing it? Why isn't he rescuing us? And so these are some deep questions that people wrestle with. But you know what? It's me and you too. We wrestle with these questions as well, don't we? Right? When our expectation of God doesn't measure up, when when we expect certain things of God and he doesn't come through like we hoped he would, I think sometimes we begin to say, are you God or not? My heart's broken, God. Are you going to do something about this or not? My finances are in trouble, God. Are you going to fix this? Or not? I'm still really tempted, God. This whole thing, this whole temptation I've been wrestling with for years, and I'm still there, God. Maybe you'd say tonight, I'm still tempted to look at things I shouldn't be looking at. Maybe you'd say tonight, I'm still tempted to lie, to get ahead. I'm still tempted to hold that anger and unforgiveness in my heart. God, if you're a God, why haven't you dealt with this in my heart yet? God, why am I still sick? Are you God or not? And I think sometimes when the prison door remains shut, we can very quickly find ourselves asking this question. Either you are God, and I won't stay in this prison, or, or maybe you're not God at all, and I'll stay right where I am. I think a lot of us, were kind of looking for the keys, you know what I mean? It's like when God comes through and, and delivers this, then I'll know He's God. But until then, the jury's out on whether He actually is or not. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever been in this place in your life? It's really important to talk about because some of you guys are there right now, but some of you aren't there, but I want you to listen in tonight anyway, because the people around you in your life, some of them are there. The people that you work with, some of them are wrestling with this question right now. The people that you'll go back to school with soon are wrestling with this question. People in your family you'll go home to tonight, there are many people in your life that are wondering how this works, how can God be God, and yet sometimes we still suffer and end up in some type of a prison cell. And so I hope tonight you'll have answers for those people. But many of you are in the midst of your own prison and you're asking these types of questions and you're struggling through this. What if there's an answer to this? What if we can find a way to figure out if God can still be God in the middle of our prison cell? Somebody once said that the number one reason people go to church is because they go through something difficult in life. I'd say that's probably true. A lot of people come through the doors and they're just hurting. Some of you guys, that's you right now. You walked in tonight, you haven't been in church in a long time, but you came because something's going on in your life that's really painful and you're hoping God has an answer. The other side of that equation is the same guy said, you know, I think the number one reason that people leave the church is because something bad happens in their life. And I'd say that's probably also true. That sometimes people are here and they're trying to live for God and they're trying to be close to God and live for Him and then suddenly something goes wrong and they take off. And I think it's because we begin to say, how can you be God and still allow this? Some of you guys might say, "Well, that's a little extreme, Doug." I don't know that I'd like take off on God, but you know the truth is, is many of us we might stick it out, we might tough it out, but there still can be a real woundedness and a coldness in our heart as we're wrestling with questions like this. This was me in college. When I went to college, I was like all fired up, man. I wanted to change the world for Jesus, and then I started to have these terrible doubts about God, and then that doubt led to depression. And I remember feeling so alone, I remember driving my car around the campus and just crying out to God and being like, God, are you there or not? Are you the God that I have been worshiping my whole life or not? Jesus, are you God? And in that, though I didn't take off on God, was the worst time of my life. So is there an answer in the midst of our pain as we're suffering? Tim Keller said this, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And that's where some of us are in the room tonight. So what do we do when we have this question in mind? Are you really God? Is there an answer to this? If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe this is why you're not a follower of Jesus, because you would look at this kind of scenario that we're talking about tonight. You'd say, no, I don't think he's God. If he lets these things happen, then I don't think We could say he's God, or that he's good, or that he's loving, or that he has any purpose or plan in the midst of all our suffering and our pain. Tonight, I hope you'll see maybe an answer to that thought. So we're going to look at someone who was in the prison and ask this exact question, and his name was John the Baptist, and he was Jesus' cousin, and he had spent time with Jesus. He loved Jesus. Jesus loved him. They were tight, their family, and John spent his life preparing the way for Jesus to come and be who Jesus was going to be. He literally spent his whole life telling everybody a savior is coming. Someone's coming to rescue. Someone's coming to redeem. He spent his whole life pointing toward Jesus. And one day John got in the face of someone he kind of got upset. And this man's name was Herod. And he told Herod, hey man you're doing something in your life you shouldn't be doing. You have no business living like that. And Herod didn't like that. So he threw John in the prison. And it's in this prison that John starts to have some questions about this Jesus that he was so sure of all along. He starts to wonder if he maybe has gotten things off. Jesus is out healing people. Jesus is out doing all these amazing things. And here sits John in the prison cell. So we're going to look at Matthew 11, verse 2. And we're going to stop at an awkward spot, but I want to just kind of camp out on something for a minute. So uh, Matthew 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... Okay, we're going to pause there. Awkward spot. The Messiah is Jesus. And here is John sitting in the prison, hearing about all the great things Jesus is doing outside the prison. And sometimes that's the worst part about being in the prison. It's hearing about all the things God is doing for the people who aren't stuck in the prison. So you're there. You're hearing, wow, Jesus is doing that. Jesus is doing this. Isn't Jesus so awesome? And you're in the prison going, no. He doesn't feel awesome right now. He feels really far right now. It's great he's doing all that stuff for everybody else, but I'm in prison. And John was John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the one who prepared the way. And here he is thinking, well, it's great that he's doing all these wonderful things for everybody else, but what about me stuck in here? And sometimes that's you and me, right? We're in our prison, and all we can kind of focus on is all that God seems to be doing for everybody else except us. And if honestly, if we were to dig down a little bit, we'd find life's not perfect for anybody. But sometimes it can feel that way. And so many of you here tonight, right, you are stuck right now in a prison you would call singleness. Am I right? Some of you, somebody shout amen. Everyone's like, no, I'm not going to shout that. That makes me weird. And go, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not shouting that out. Sometimes a little desperate, right? Okay. All right. You guys run with that. Have fun with that. Okay. So some of you guys are stuck in that prison of singleness. And it feels like God is helping everyone else find their soulmate around you. Everyone's getting married, and you are so happy for them, not even a little bit. And you go on the way to the wedding, the Walgreens, and you pick up two cards, and the first card you fill out, dear Steve and Melanie, I'm so glad Jesus put you two together. What a wonderful God we serve. So excited for your marriage, love, Bob. You fold it up, and you prepare to give it to them. Then you open up the second card. And this is the card that you say what you really mean because you're not going to give it to them. And you open it up and say, Dear Steve and Melanie, I hate you. God has abandoned me. After your reception, I'm going to go to Carvel and buy a Fudgy the Whale cake and eat the whole thing myself. Love, Bob. And then you have to make sure you don't mix those cards up. Because if you give the wrong card, Melanie's going to open it on her wedding night and start crying, and she's going to be really mad you ruined his wedding night. (laughs) Some of you are stuck in that prison of singleness. And it seems like everyone else is finding their soulmate. Some of you guys are stuck in different prisons, right? Some of you guys are stuck in that prison of sickness, and it feels like you've been in that prison so long, and everybody else is like getting sick and getting better, and you're still in that same spot. Some of you guys are stuck in some kind of a prison, of financial issue, right? And it feels like everybody's getting the job. Everybody's, you know, getting the scholarship. Everything's working out. And it just feels like you're the only one stuck in there. And sometimes that's the most difficult part of the prison cell is that everything else seems to be going well for everybody else who's not stuck. And that's exactly where John is right now. Jesus is out and everybody's amazed at what he's doing. And John is completely stuck. The next part says this. He, John, sent his disciples. And I, I know we always think about like Jesus had disciples. The word disciple just means followers. So John had some followers too. And so John sent some of his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What's he saying? I mean, this is huge. What's he saying? He's saying, are you really God or not? John the Baptist is saying Jesus' cousin, the one who had been telling everybody that Jesus was the Savior, that he's the one that could be trusted, that everyone should look to him, devoted his whole life to Jesus, and now he's in the prison, and he's asking this really uncomfortable question. Are you really God or not? Are you really the Savior or not? I mean, the Jewish people have been waiting for this Messiah, this Savior, forever. You start reading the beginning of the Old Testament, it starts talking about a savior and a rescuer and someone that's going to come and be the scapegoat and take away the sin. And and here is John saying, did I get this wrong? Because he can't fathom that God could be God and he'd still be stuck in this prison cell. And this is where some of us are in life too. You've told everybody around you, how great Jesus is. You've told them, oh, come to church. Come to the Bible club in my school. Come to the Bible study. Come here. Come there. Listen to what God's done. Oh, I was just away with my church this weekend, serving people. And then now you're in this place in life and you're going, man, did I get this wrong? Was I off the whole time? Because why am I still in this prison cell if God is God? And I get it. These are the questions I wrestle with, right? God, my wife's still sick. Are you God or not? God, my, my mom passed away at 59 from cancer. Are you God or not? These are the questions you ask. God, my heart's still broken. Are you going to heal this or not? Are you listening? Are you present? Are you seeing what's going on? I still haven't found my spouse, God. Everybody around me has. What's going on? I still am waiting. So John asked this really deep question. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't just give one answer, but he gives three. And these three answers aren't just for John, they're for you and me. And actually, I think they're almost more so for you and me. We're going to see why that's true as we work through here. But look at verse 4. It says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John. So he's telling John's disciples, go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Answer number one, John, you are in a prison right now. And I am God. I am God. In case you were wondering. In case you were wrestling. In case you were tempted to doubt that right now. I want you to know you're in the prison cell and I'm God. Both are true. And some of us need to hear that tonight. That our prison cell doesn't make God stop being God. That he's still in charge and he's still in control. And then he goes on, he says in verse 6, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is great advice from Jesus because the truth is many of us stumble on account of him. In other words, we stumble when he leaves us in the prison cell for longer than we thought we should be there. We stumble when he doesn't come through as quickly as as we hoped or in the way that he hoped we hoped. And I get it. I have expectations that I thought God would have come through in one way or another I, you know, I, I thought Kelly would have been healed by now. I figured we'd have all this building stuff figured out. And that's just two expectations I had that haven't come to pass, you know? There's plenty in my life. Plenty of things I thought would be different. Plenty of ways I would have thought maybe God would have come through in a different way or at a different time. But I love that Jesus is just reaffirming, hey, I am God. Don't stumble over that. Don't trip. Don't, don't stumble over your discouragements, or your disappointments. He's still God in the midst of all of our prisons. Then, John, uh, Jesus talks a little bit more, and John's followers actually start to leave to go back to tell John the answer. And Jesus gives us our second answer here. And I don't know if John heard this, okay? Because it says in the Bible that John's leaders, or, uh, disciples started to walk away. So I don't know if, if John ever heard this part of it, or if this is just for you and me, to find encouragement in, but look at what it says in verse 11. Jesus is bragging now about John the Baptist. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You know what I think he's trying to get across here? I think he's trying to get across to everybody. I love John. In fact, I've never met anyone greater than John. You know what that means for you? In the middle of your prison, Jesus loves you. Because that's another Thing we start to question. All right, maybe you're God, but do you love me? As some of us, if we're honest, we have thought, maybe I'm in this prison cell because God doesn't love me, or because he's angry at me, or I've done something wrong. Now listen, God does discipline us sometimes. It's always out of love. It's always going to produce good, but he never punishes us, because Jesus was punished in our place. Discipline and punishment are two very different things, and Jesus is not punishing you. He took that punishment for you so you wouldn't have to be punished. You're not in a prison cell today because Jesus is angry with you. He loves you. He loved John, and yet John was in a prison cell. And so we've established so far that God is God, and He loves us, and sometimes we're stuck in a prison cell. And you might say, but why? That's what I don't understand. I don't understand why we still end up in the prison cell if God is God and he loves us. It's because of the third reason. And the third reason is this. It's because God has a plan. God has some type of a plan. And we've seen this in all of our series so far. Every single week we've seen some kind of plan that God has. Some kind of purpose that God had. But we have to do a little bit of research here. A little bit of work to figure this part out. Because this part of the story often gets missed. Because what we have to understand here is something that actually is told about seven chapters earlier in the Bible, and it's really important, it's really powerful. So verse four, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 4 verse 12 says this: "When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee." So wait a minute. When, when Jesus heard that his cousin, the one who was this huge preparer of the way for him, was put in prison, he withdrew instead of like running to where he was and going and rescuing and saving him. He withdrew to Galilee. In fact, not only did he withdraw to Galilee, we have to figure out what that means, right? What does it mean that he withdrew to Galilee? Did he go like to the next town over? Actually, no. See, here's what we know. Josephus was a first century historian. I've talked about him in the past, right? And he tells us John the Baptist was held in a castle in a town called Machaerus. Now, we're going to put a map up here and Down here on the bottom, you're going to see this red dot come up. That is where Micaiah is. But that verse told us Jesus withdrew to Galilee. That's by this red dot, all the way up toward the top of the screen. That is 80 miles apart. So listen to this. John gets imprisoned, and Jesus goes 80 miles in the wrong direction. Has it ever felt like when you're imprisoned, Jesus has gone 80 miles in the wrong direction? Now the truth is, for you and me, we have something John didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit in us wherever we go. So God's always with us. So We've got it better than John. But sometimes it can feel like God went 80 miles in the wrong direction when we're in the middle of our prison cell. And so... What we have to understand is why Jesus would do this. Because some of us might say, well, maybe Jesus was scared. Was he scared? But this is the same Jesus who, when there was a whole crowd of people there to push him off a ledge, just walked right through the crowd. He was fine. This is the same Jesus, when the soldiers came to arrest him before the crucifixion, said, I am, and everybody hit the deck because of the power and just those two words that he spoke. So, no, he's not afraid. He's on a plan, he's on mission. Here's what he knows. He knows if he goes where John is now, they, they could try to arrest him then. They could try to, to take him and put him in prison and kill him just like they want to do to John. And it's not his time yet. Jesus knows what's coming, but it's not his time yet. And so Jesus is staying on mission. He's staying on the plan. And so he withdraws to Galilee. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus didn't just come up with this plan. It's not like me today going like, well, I don't feel like being in this so I'm heading out to Center Reach. You know? like, it's not like me deciding that today. In fact, Jesus, when He withdrew to Galilee, was fulfilling prophecy that was written by Isaiah 750 years before. This has been God's plan all along. Matthew 4.12 tells us Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Matthew 4.13 tells us why He did. Look at 4.13. Leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 15. Land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali the way uh, of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, Galilee, right? That's where Jesus is supposed to end up. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Matthew quotes the verse from Isaiah and says, here's why Jesus withdrew to Galilee because that was God's plan. That's where he's supposed to go and minister next. In fact, if you read the verses right before the ones we read later in Matthew, it says that after John was arrested. Jesus went to Galilee. This all sinks up. It sinks up. It's all part of a plan. In fact, take it even a step further. I know we're going deep tonight. Just hang with me. If you remember what, what John's disciples said back to John, remember what Jesus told John's, John's disciples to say? Hey, tell John that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. The, the dead are being raised. The gospel's pre- being preached to, to the poor. Tell, tell John those things. You know, if those verses sounded familiar to you, that's because Jesus used them another time, too. One day, Jesus was in the temple. He stood up in Isaiah 61 and, and took out a, a scroll of Isaiah 61. And he read those exact verses and said, These are about me. This is what I'm here to do. I'm here to raise the dead and heal the lame and preach the good news to the poor. But what he sent John. He left out a line that's really important. You see, when he stood up that day and he read off the scroll, there was a line that said this, and I'm here to set the captives free. And when he said, hey, John, or or John's disciples, go tell John this message, he left that line out about setting the captives free. Because there was a plan in place. And the, the time for John to be the one that would prepare the way was coming to an end. And the time for Jesus to walk into the ministry God had called him to was coming. So this was all about a plan. And I can almost picture John hearing the message back, hey, people are being healed, God's doing amazing things. I don't know, again, if John heard, hey, Jesus, I don't know if John's disciples came back and said, hey, Jesus said you're the greatest he's ever met. I don't know if he heard that or not, but we hear it. And there's a plan. I could just see John in his cell going, all right, I, I, I didn't think this is how things were going to go, but I know God is God, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he has a plan, and that's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see that God is God, and he loves you, and he has a plan in the midst of your prison. Now, if you're honest, some of you guys are like, Doug, this isn't really what I wanted to hear tonight. I wanted to hear that all my prisons were going to open, that all the bad things going on in my life were going to stop. Now listen, we're a church that believes God does open prison doors. He does heal relationships. He does break off the power of temptation in our lives. He does heal bodies. He does provide jobs. He does all these things. And I'm here to say we, be, we better be seeking Him for all these things, right? But what I really am driving at tonight are, are those of us who are still in the prison. The door hasn't swung open yet. That we'd be able to say, okay, God, in this place, when you feel like you went 80 miles in the wrong direction, you are still God and you still love me and you still have a plan in the midst of all of this pain. And so when that question comes up in our heart, are you God or not? We've got to look back to these answers. First one, I am God. And think about it. The answer that John got, yes, I'm God, and here's how you know. You know because the blind are seeing and the dead are being raised. We get a better answer, everybody, right? Because when you and I ask Jesus, are you God? He says, oh, yeah, I'm God, not just because I could raise the dead, but because I was the dead that was raised. I was on a cross, and I rose back from the dead. And we say, all right, Jesus, well, that's great, but do you love me? Jesus is coming back at you and me, not just with, yeah, I love you because you're the greatest born. No, I love you so much that I got on a cross And I was condemned as sin, your sin, in your place. So yeah, I love you. But what about a plan? God, do you have a plan? Yes, I have a plan. If you'll just trust me in the midst of this, if you'll just sit in that prison cell and wait back a little bit, watch what I will do. Watch how I will show up. Now some of you guys might know the end of John the Baptist story. He was never released and was eventually killed. And you'd say, but where's the end of that story? Well, John ends up in heaven, face-to-face with his Savior. And here's the thing. A lot of us, and I said this two weeks ago, I think, a lot of us think to ourselves, well, when I get to heaven, man, I'm going to have words with God, right? I got a whole list of things on my iPhone written out. First of all, I don't think your iPhone's going. Just going to throw that out there, okay? But a lot of us are thinking, I got my list already. I'm going to tell God. Me and God are going to have a conversation, I just want to tell you, I don't think that conversation is going to go like you think it's going to go. I think when you see Jesus, you're not going to bark at him and yell at him and condemn him for things he disappointed you with. I think you're going to fall on your face and worship and say, how could I be worthy of this? How could you have saved me? How could you have rescued me? How could you have come and done for me what I could have never done for myself? How could you have died on that cross in my place? I think that's what the conversation is going to go like. And that's how it went, I think, when John got there, too. I think he said, you are God, and you love me, and you had a plan. And maybe it wasn't what I thought, but now I see all that you were up to, and it's worth it. And so some of you guys are in that place right now. It's really hard. It's really difficult. You're discouraged. You're in pain. You're hurting. And sometimes it's in that place we, we just need the why. We need to figure out what God is up to. And, and maybe I'll just give you one example more of what God might be up to in your prison cell. Tim Keller said this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And some of us are going to discover that in our prison cell. Some of us are going to discover in our singleness, in our joblessness, in the battle of temptation, we're going to discover that Jesus is enough because he really truly is all that we have. And if that can be something that comes out of the prison, so we'll actually discover, man, that prison was a blessing and not a curse. And some of you guys might just be struggling, going, Doug, I hear you, but I just kind of don't believe you. On a philosophical level, I kind of understand what you're saying, but I just, can you give me an example of a time when God let somebody stay in a prison and it worked out for good? Can you give me an example of a time when he let somebody stay in a prison and it was clear he was still God and he still loved them and he had a plan? Yeah, I can give you an example, and it's when God the Father let his son Jesus stay in a prison and eventually die in our place. And we're going to dive headlong into that next week. And we're going to learn from Jesus himself as we look at the scriptures next week about his prison experience. But God was 100% God as Jesus was put on a cross and died in our place. And you and I are grateful God stayed on the mission. We're grateful he didn't sway from that. Because that was the, the plan to save you and me. And God certainly loved his son. No doubt there. Jesus wasn't on that cross because God was angry at him. Jesus wasn't on that cross because Jesus did something to upset his father. He was perfect. He lived a life for you and me that we could never live. And so you and I, when we're in that prison cell, we don't start going down the path of I must be here because God hates me. I must be here because God doesn't love me. I must be here because I'm doing something wrong. Again, sometimes God disciplines us, but we're always going to see his love in the process and that's the outcome. And again, back to the plan. Here is Jesus submitting to his Father's will, being placed on a cross and dying in our place. And the plan is the salvation of mankind. And so in that, you have God being God, God being loving, and God having a plan. And you and I are so grateful for all of that today because it's everything to us. And so I hope you're encouraged today. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not in the prison right now, you have some answers for some people who are hurting. In the prison and your job is not to argue with them and try to help them figure out this or that and and you know come down hard on them your job is to come alongside people that are in a prison cell and love them and help them see the truth that God's still God and he still loves them and he has a plan in the midst of that prison for them some of you are here tonight and you're the person that needed the encouragement tonight and I hope you're receiving it I hope instead of running away from God or being miserable in the prison cell you'll just come around these truths. He is God, you are loved, and he has a plan. If you're not a father of Jesus, the greatest prison that God ever busted us out of was the prison of our guilt and our sin and our shame. He did that by dying on the cross for us. And if you want a relationship with Jesus tonight, I would encourage you to respond to him in a minute. It's really all about God, but if you walked in here tonight and you're like, I'm not buying any of this stuff, and then right now you're kind of like, I'm kind of buying some of this stuff, and I feel like my heart's changing a little, that means that Jesus is opening your eyes to his love and to who he is. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in just a minute, but it's not this prayer that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you, and this is a way to respond and put your trust in him. But I hope you're encouraged tonight to know that God is God. He loves you. He has a plan in the midst of your prison. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you tonight just thankful that we're not left to ourselves. So thankful, God, that we're not alone in the midst of these prisons that are sometimes so dark and so difficult. But we thank you, O God, that you walk with us. We thank you, God, that you you still remain God no matter what we go through. Our prisons never negate that you are God. Our prisons never negate that you love us. And that you're always going to use the beautiful, difficult things we go through to bring about an amazing plan. If you're a Christian, would you either pray about maybe the own pri- your own prison you feel stuck in tonight? And would you work through the fact that he is still God, you are loved, and he has a plan? Or if you're not in a prison, would you pray for somebody who is? And ask that God would use you to come alongside them and be a blessing. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him tonight, would you just pray something like this? Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross in my place. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, accepting me as I am today. God, would you begin to change my life? I want to turn from my sin, and I want to live for you. Would you empower me to do that? God, show me that you're God. Show me that you love me. And show me the plan you have for my life. In your name I pray.